0: Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Jesus, we are walking through the Gospel of Mark to discover the answer to the question, who is this man? Our speaker today is Senior Minister Evie Bacon. You know, as we'll uh continue on in our series titled Jesus. We're walking through the story of Jesus' life, what he did, what he said, as told to us by mark in his gospel gospel means good news and his intention is for us to come to the place that we say (laughs) this is good news when I see what Jesus did and I hear what Jesus taught and what he promised and, and and if I receive that because I accept that he is the one he said he was the son of God who provides me to a way for me to be right with God through faith when I do that that's that's the best news that I could ever hear and live by as we walk through this process, the goal is simply to, to, accept, to be there and to see what Mark has to tell us and for us to come to a place where we make a decision where we say, Jesus is the best news of my life. When I first came to the country, I was uh, thrilled to discover that you have a holiday here where you're allowed, allowed to shoot fireworks all day if you want. To almost set your entire street on fire, which is pretty cool. Fourth of July, isn't that fun? Fourth of July, think about Fourth of July, and I'm like, that's one of my favorite holidays. And I became a citizen in 2003 after the events of 9 11. I'm like, this is my country. Uh, my kids are American, my wife's American, and this is my country now. I love this country. And I used to celebrate 4th of July uh, as a fun time to send off fireworks. Thank you. But now after 9-11, I'm like, I get this. I get what the significance of 4th of July is all about. Celebrating the four Fs, right? We celebrate our freedom, simpl- as exemplified by the Statue of Liberty. Freedom from the tyranny of the Brits. Um, look, I came from Rhodesia. We also broke free from the Brits. So I'm a rebel too, just kind of change, change allegiance there, right? We celebrate the flag, we celebrate freedom, we celebrate the flag, right? We celebrate with fireworks. Why we have fireworks? One, because they're fun, that's really, but also we recognize, hey, this, this freedom doesn't came with a price, it came with a battle, it came with a war, not only do we have the war of independence, we have wars that have subsequently been fought throughout history that have protected what we enjoy and our freedoms. And then the third, fourth F is we celebrate as families. Fourth of July is a national holiday celebrated, what? At home, around the table, around the grill, right? That's how we celebrate it. And it's significant for us, and, and it's, 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 a, it's a great holiday. Now, we're entering in a time in a story with Jesus, where he and his disciples, remember I talked about they were in Galilee up in the north, they made their way down south, they're in Jerusalem, the capital city, and the timing of their coming to Jerusalem is right in line with the Jews' celebration of their version of 4th of July. The feast of Passover and unleavened bread was the celebration of the nation of Israel to how they gained their freedom and became a nation. It goes back to, and if you want to look in your Bibles, you go to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, where they were as slaves in Egypt. God sends his guy Moses to the king of Egypt and says, hey, you let my people go. Uh, Pharaoh's like, no, 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 God sends in plague after plague, and all ten of the plagues come. And the tenth plague is this, this promise that if you don't let my people go, then I'm going to send the angel of death, and he's going to kill your firstborn. And so from that, we have the story of the people of Israel leaving Egypt and becoming a nation. So it was their Fourth of July. It was their celebration of Independence. But at Jesus' time, they celebrated independence under a cloud. Imagine celebrating Fourth of July with a foreign country and empire in charge. Imagine celebrating freedom, red, white, and blue, singing God Bless America. Knowing that when you sing it, it's really not true because you're living under oppression and under the control of a foreign entity who allows you to celebrate because that's your cultural practice, but really you're not free. And so when Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he comes in, we remember in the story the beginning of this festival week on what we call, which is today, Palm Sunday. Jesus comes in as the Messiah. The people of Israel are waiting for an individual who would be a descendant of the great King David, the the king of the past, who was promised that one day a descendant of him would come and would liberate the nation, would free the nation from oppression. And so they're waiting for this. They're thinking, okay, Jesus is coming, and this guy, I think it must be the Messiah. And particularly how he comes. He comes in from the East Gate, and not East Gate Mall, but the East Gate of Jerusalem. Uh, he comes in as promised on riding on a donkey, and the people line the path of his entrance, and they, they start waving palm trees. And in those days, the palm leaves are symbolic to, to our red, white, and blue flags. They're proclaiming that he is the Messiah. We're told that they begin to shout here in Mark 11:9. Those who went ahead and followed and shouted, Hosanna. Remember, I talked about Hosanna a few weeks. ago. So Hosanna is basically means God is our salvation. God save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Another promise of the individual, the descendant of David, who would set them free. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And so Jesus comes in at the beginning of this uh, independent celebration as the liberator. But of course we know that he's not the kind of liberator that they were expecting. God did not send his son into the world to bring about Uh, freedom for the Jews politically. No, he sent his son into the world to bring about freedom for the Jews and all people who are under oppression from sin and death, a far greater power, a far greater kingdom than the Romans would ever be. And so Jesus comes in and he now gets ready to celebrate the Passover feast with his disciples, his close associates. During the week, he came in on a Sunday. During that week, he had spent most of his time at the house of some friends, a little village in, called Bethany, just outside Jerusalem. And he would go from Bethany to Jerusalem, back and forth. He wouldn't spend the night in Jerusalem, primarily because of his safety was in, was in danger. He was knew that the officials, the Jewish leadership officials, religious leaders, officials, wanted to kill him. They did not want him to be the Messiah. They were very concerned about the Romans' retribution, if the Messiah would come about, and they were like, "Uh, this is not the kind of Messiah we want. Jesus is not our Messiah. And so they were thinking, the only solution to the problem is for us to see how we can kill him. And so they were plotting how to kill him. But on Thursday night, the night when they were going to celebrate the Passover feast, which was celebrated around a table, on Thursday night, Jesus sends his apostles to prepare a place, and they gather together to celebrate Passover. Now, let me run through some important elements of what was celebrated at Passover. The first element is blood. I know, it's kind of gross. But in the story of the liberation of Israel, God said to the people of Israel, hey, I'm sending my angel, an angel of death, who's going to bring about the tenth plague, will persuade Pharaoh to let my people go. That tenth plague will be the death of all that is firstborn. Firstborn children, firstborn livestock, anything firstborn will die as punishment for the Pharaoh not letting my people go. But if you Jews want to escape that, Here's what you got to do. you got to take a lamb, a perfect lamb, an unblemished lamb. you got to kill that lamb, and that blood of that lamb needs to be offered up. Offered up in painting it on the doorposts of your house and on the doorposts of your, your, your place, in a visible place. Put that blood in there, and when my angel of death comes, he will see the blood, and he'll do what? He'll pass over, right? He'll pass over. You will escape death because of the blood, Okay, so remember that aspect of Passover. Second thing is the obvious one is the lamb. The lamb was sl- slain as a means by which Passover was brought about, but also he was cel- was a source of celebrate. They, they had a feast uh, eating the lamb, celebrating as a family. Other thing that we need to know that bread, unleavened bread, bread without yeast, and that was set about because God said you need to prepare a meal, but you need to do it quickly, and you need to leave quickly, so you better prepare by making bread that doesn't have yeast because you don't have time for the, the dough to rise. You don't have time to prepare bread like you normally do. You just take unleavened bread, you celebrate this meal with that, and then you get ready to go because after I pass over, you guys are out of here. You guys are out of here. And then the fourth element of Passover was that while it was a national thing, it was a family thing. You know, I said Fourth of July is a a national holiday. We celebrate around the table. Well, Passover primarily was celebrated around the table as a family, as a family. And so the first Passover, they they ate a meal after they prepared their houses. And then subsequent Passovers, as as they celebrated the Passovers, as they remembered, as God instructed them, the events of what led to their freedom, they celebrated around the table. And the table included elements. They they had a feast that included elements that retold the story of how God set them free as a nation. Now, Jews today celebrate Passover. They call it Seda which means celebration, and the way they do it today has elements that Jesus did, but they've added other things that Jesus probably wouldn't have done in the first century. But what we know for sure is what Jesus included in His celebration of Passover is a number of things. First of all, the celebration and the retelling of the story involved them having, we would say, four toasts, four cups of wine. And there was meaning to the wine. Red wine symbolized rejoicing. So they would rejoice, they would toast certain things that the Passover communicated. Four cups. The first cup was a celebration of the promise that God said to the people I will set you, I will bring you out of darkness, I will bring you out of bondage. Second cup, God said, I will make you free, I will set you free. Third cup, I will redeem you. And the, the concept of redemption is this. It's buying back. Remember we used to put our, our Christmas stuff in layaway at Walmart? You ever do that? And then you would pay it off, and you would redeem it once you paid it off. Well, similar idea, right? You were indebted to sin and death. You, you, you belong to Pharaoh. I will buy you back. I will make you mine, which goes to the fourth cup. The fourth cup says, I will make you my people. I will make you my people. Also included in the ceremony was three loaves of unleavened bread that were used in creating the story. There was a bit of hiding the bread where the kids would have some fun trying to find the bread that dad hid. And then when they found it, he would tell the story. And there was just elements of of eating the bread. Basically, the bread, and hold on to this, the bread symbolized the Passover lamb. So in the remembrance of Passover in the feast, whenever they ate the bread, they remembered the Passover lamb, sacrificed, whose blood provided the means by which the people escaped death. Got that? One of the prayers that are offered up even today and kind of captures the tone of Passover. This is the prayer. It says, we have been brought from slavery to freedom from sadness to gladness, from mourning to feasting, from darkness to light, from captivity to redemption. And so hopefully you've got an idea of what Jesus and his disciples were participating that night, that Thursday night, as they were celebrating the feast with, in the capital city of Jerusalem, as they were celebrating this feast together. And when they celebrated, you have to also understand the tensions and the complications that were involved. They were celebrating freedom under the yoke of slavery oppression by the Romans. They were celebrating this freedom with this massive expectation by the people that that maybe Jesus is the one, but Jesus kept telling them, no, I'm not your political Messiah. I'm a Messiah of a different kind, a Messiah that's going to require me not to push out the Romans, but instead to lay down my life at the execution of the Romans. But I'll come back to life again. There was tension around the table because Jesus knew that in order for his arrest and subsequent trial and then execution, he would be betrayed by someone very close to him. In fact, we know it would be one of his own disciples, a man named Judas Iscariot, who will betray Jesus. And so Jesus is celebrating Passover, and, and while it's a celebration of joy, while it's a celebration of singing, God saves us, There was pressure, there was tension, there was a a struggle going on as they gathered around the table and celebrated freedom. And it's at this moment that Jesus takes the Passover, elements of the Passover, the the meaning, the, the emotion, the expectation, and he takes that and he establishes a new practice for those who will follow him, for the church that will come because of his work on the cross and through the tomb. He will establish something that we as Christians now practice every week here at Mount Carmel. We do it every week, something we call the Lord's Supper or communion. He will establish something new in which he will basically say, "My, what I'm about to do is I'm about to bring you out of darkness. I'm about to set you free. I'm about to provide a way in which you can be brought back and you can become a child of God because of this that I'm about to do on the cross and through the empty tomb. And so follow along with me as we go through the text. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, beginning at verse 22. "While they were eating, what are they eating? Passover, right? doing the celebration, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. What is this bread symbolic of? The lamb. Jesus is in effect saying, this, the lamb, I am the new lamb. And in breaking it, he's saying the lamb is going to be given up. I am going to be given up. I am going to be the means by which you, all those who believe, all those who follow me, you will be able to escape death. I will be the Passover lamb, innocent, unblemished, one who did not deserve to give up his life but will choose to give up his life because of grace, because of love. I will give you what you do not deserve. I will be your Passover lamb. I will be the means of liberation from sin and death. All of you who are in darkness, all of you who are in bondage, all of you who are unworthy, to walk with God, because the way to be right with God has been broken because of your sin. You will now have a way, and that way will come about because I am your Passover lamb and because of what I will do on the cross for you. Then he took the cup, a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. Now if you just remember, just a little while ago, I said there were four cups in the Passover celebration procedure. It was a three-hour festival, three-hour meal kind of thing with all elements that were involved, four cups. And you're like, okay, which cup did he take? I wonder, which cup did he take? Did he take one, two, three, or four? Did he take the cup where God says, I will bring you out of darkness did he take the cup where it says God said I'll set you free did he take the cup that says I will redeem you did he take the cup the fourth cup that said I will make you my people well thankfully we have a clue from the writing of the Apostle Paul in Corinthians where we get the idea that it was the third cup it's called the cup of celebration red wine represents celebration but it's the cup of redemption and now you look at what Jesus says, and it absolutely makes sense. He says, this is my blood. This is my blood. Uh, my blood is what will be used to buy you back. My life, in effect, will be given up in order to purchase what is owed by sin and death for you so that you can be set free from the debt you deserve. Every one of us who are lawbreakers, every one of us who have violated what is right, every one of us who are unworthy, and we all are unworthy to stand before God on our own merit, every one of us deserve to pay eternal death. That price will be paid by the blood of Jesus, and it will be the blood of the covenant. Covenant, some say a new covenant. It's a new way to be right with God. The way of the law, the way to try to get God to be right with God on your own merit is closed, but the way of grace now has become open, and that way of grace that's open is made possible because of the blood of Jesus shed for us. And again, understand this in the context of the Passover. It might be strange to us, it might be odd for us to, to, to understand. But hopefully, as you understand Passover and the communications and the history and what's being told there, now you'll be going, okay, I get it. I understand. Though we don't do blood stuff now, I understand what he's saying. I understand what he means when he says, this is my blood, the cup of redemption. Given for who? He says, for many. Not just a few, not just a select, not just one nation, but for many. Many for you and for me, Jews and non-Jews. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, this is for you. This is for you. Finishes up with the words, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink new in the kingdom of God. What's he talking about? Well, this is all about promise of resurrection. First of all, to the guys that were sitting around the table originally, right? I'm not going to do this until the kingdom of God comes. How's the kingdom of God come? The place where God dwells, the place where God rules, the place where there's no doubt who is in charge, right? When's that going to come? That's going to come once Jesus defeats death by raising again on the third day after being buried and laying in the tomb. And so there's a promise. Hey, guys, I'm going to drink this again when when I come back to life. And, of course, we're told in the gospel stories and the other places that one of the things that Jesus does with his disciples is he eats with them. He participates in a meal with them. But it's also a promise for you and me who follow Jesus. It's a promise that even though we might follow him to death physically... We know we will also, because he resurrected from the dead, follow him resurrection. And that one day, even though we might be dead, when Jesus comes back, to life, comes back for us, we will rise from the dead to live in his kingdom, the place where he dwells, the place where God rules, where there's no doubt as to who's in charge. We will live with him forever. It is a promise to eternal life. Death will not have the final say. You know, I summed up in your bulletins that some of you are fill-in-the-blank junkies. You've seen some blanks here. You've been itching to fill them out. Well, here they are. Here's the meaning of communion then. God has made a way to be right with Him through Jesus. When we take communion... We say we believe that to be true. God has made a way for us to be right through Jesus. And then it becomes personal. Because when we take communion, we in effect are saying, because we're eating and because we're drinking, because we're participating, we're saying, I have been made right with God through faith. I have been made right with God through faith. And it's a celebration. Remember I said Hosanna means God saves? Well, (laughs) God saves. And every time we take communion, in effect we're saying Hosanna. God is our salvation. It's a proclamation of freedom. Remember that scene in in Braveheart where he's like, freedom! Right? Remember that? Well, maybe we could do that every now and then at communion. Freedom! Just don't lay down on the ground being pulled by stuff. Anyway, that is what We're saying when we take communion. So my research, I came across this article that I'm going to work through here with you, but it's really, really powerful and insightful. In a 2017 lecture, a man named Mark Meynell addressed the connection between identity and memory. Who you are has to really do with what you remember, right? Memory. BBC Radio 3 is England's primary classical music station and ran a series of fascinating articles on music and memory. A man named Adam Zeman who's a professor of cognitive and behavioral neurology, wrote about the connection between amnesia and memory loss and the relationship with epilepsy. He talked about two patients, a man named Peter and Marcus, who described their memory loss In very similar ways, one said, my memory of my past is a blank space. I feel lost and hopeless. I'm trying to explore a void. Both described how disconcerting it is to look at photos, pictures of themselves. They see themselves and they have no recollection. They can't remember the moment in the history regarding the picture that they're seeing. One said, it's like I'm reading a biography of a stranger even though it's me. He's conscious of recent memories slipping away from him, like ships sailing out to sea in the fog, never to be seen again. Two things stand out from Zeman's essay. He said, first, the observation is this. Without memory, it's hard to cling to an identity. So one of the patients said, I don't have the moorings that other people draw on to know who they are. You can't know who you are if you don't remember your past, and you don't remember where you came from. You don't remember the stories that form who you are and why you are where you are and why you do what you do. Second, he said, it's hard to have hope when we don't know our past. As Zeman explained, the inability to invoke the past greatly impedes their ability to imagine a future. And so every Sunday we take the Lord's Supper here at Mount Carmel Christian Church and in effect what we do as we enter into a community of remembrance and those that remembrance the simple taking of the bread to remember the body broken on the cross sacrifice for us the drinking of the cup the juice poured out blood of jesus opens up a new way for us to be right with god by faith This provides us our spiritual moorings. It provides a reminder of who I am in God. And it also grounds us to look forward to say, I know where I'm going. Resurrection and life. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.